Well, it's very good to see our sister Lynn Hess with us this morning. Welcome to Lynn. It's good to have you with us. And it's good to see you all this morning. Now, if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14? And this morning we are going to complete what we began in chapter 12, this whole subject of spiritual gifts. So, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and we shall begin to read in verse 26. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 26. What then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up, or let all things be done for edification. If anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is, a sh- it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Or, to put it another way, let them just remain ignorant. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. And may God bless to us the reading of His Holy Word. Let's pray together. Now, our Heavenly Father, as we come into Your presence, we desire above all things to to submit ourselves to Your Word, to hear Your Word, and then to do Your Word. We pray that we might be faithful, faithful stewards of the Word, and faithful proclaimers of the Word. And we desire that we would live holy lives in accordance with Your Word. So speak to us by your Holy Spirit this morning from your word. Help us to understand it and to comprehend it and to know what it means. And so we commit ourselves to you and we desire that the Lord Jesus may be glorified and exalted in our midst. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me remind you that this whole subject of spiritual gifts, the Apostle Paul began back in chapter 12 and verse 1 when he opened... This section, 12, 13, and 14, with those words now concerning spiritual gifts. When he uses that phrase, now concerning, or those words, now concerning, he is responding to a query or an inquiry by someone or some group of persons in the church at Corinth. So somebody 
has asked the Apostle Paul to outline or to unfold for the church at Corinth his views on spiritual gifts. And perhaps they have let him know some way or another what was happening in Corinth about spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul does the same thing with marriage in chapter 7. Now concerning the things you wrote to me about marriage, he does the same thing in chapter 8 when he talks about now concerning the things about food offered to idols. Those are all in response to letters or queries that someone or a group of people have asked the Apostle Paul. They want his advice. Now, we all are aware by this stage, I think, that there are problems in Corinth. These Christians in Corinth are very gifted, very spiritually gifted, but they are using those gifts and abusing those gifts because they use them for their own glory and for their own building up, their own edification. They're not interested, it would appear, in others. They're interested in themselves. And that is apparent going all the way back to chapter 1. This is the great dilemma, the great problem that the Corinthians were exhibiting. Now here in the opening verses of chapter 14, verses 1 through 25, the Apostle Paul describes for us what was happening in the church at Corinth regarding the use of spiritual gifts. Primarily the use of tongues, the use of prophecy, and the use of interpretation. And in those Verses 1 through 25, he outlines, as we have seen together, the abuses that existed in the church gathering in the use of those spiritual gifts. And I tried to show you going all the way back to chapter 13, which is really at the heart of chapter 14, especially verses 8 through 13 of chapter 13, that in the apostle describing spiritual gifts, particularly the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of interpretation, and the gift of prophecy, and also in chapter 13, the gift of knowledge, that he wants these Corinthians now to pay attention to how they should be used correctly and for the glory of God and for the building up of others. They're not for themselves, but they're for everybody else. So he describes what was happening in the church at Corinth. And you remember, I gave you four points from the first 25 verses of chapter 14 about the whole subject of speaking in tongues. There are many uh, interpretations to chapter 13 and chapter 14. Uh, I have said to you that I believe that when Paul talks about spirit, uh, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues here, that he is referring to the legitimate gift of speaking in tongues, which was the gift of a, speaking a foreign language. What he is doing in chapter 14 in the opening verses is correcting the problems or the views that the Corinthians had about the, the gift of tongues in particular. What were the views then of the Apostle Paul? Paul tells us, first of all, that tongues are not the best gift. That's verses 1 through 5 in chapter 14. He tells us, secondly, in verses 6 through 12 or 13, that tongues benefit no one by themselves. Tongues benefit no one if they're just used by themselves. He tells us, thirdly, in verses 13 through 19, that tongues always, without exception, require 
interpretation. If there's going to be any use of the gift of tongues in a congregation, always there has to be the interpretation of whatever was said. And finally, in those verses leading up to verse 25, he tells us that tongues are primarily a sign for unbelievers. And if we stay with those things, that tongues are not the best gift, tongues benefit no one by themselves, tongues always require interpretation, and tongues are given as a sign toward unbelievers or to unbelievers, then I don't think we'll go too far wrong in now comprehending Paul's concluding remarks about spiritual gifts in chapter 14 in these verses before us. Let me remind you of chapter 13, verses 8 through 13, that in those verses, the Apostle Paul told us that prophecy, speaking in tongues, and knowledge were only temporary gifts. They would pass away. We all saw that speaking in tongues particularly would stop and cease by themselves, but that knowledge and prophecy would require something that would come in from the outside and that would cause them to be removed or to pass away. That thing from the outside, the Apostle tells us, is the perfect thing. And we all saw that the perfect thing was the completed revelation that God was going to compile and give. And once that revelation was complete, which of course for us is God's Word, that then the revelational gifts of knowledge and of prophecy would themselves pass away because the perfect thing had come. That's a very crucial and a very important part of uh, Paul's teaching on spiritual gifts as he comes now into this chapter, chapter 14. So chapter 14 concludes Paul's teaching in three chapters from chapter 12 on this whole subject of spiritual gifts. And those opening beautiful verses of 1 Corinthians 13, which are so often taken out of context on the subject of love, that it was love that was to govern all the use of spiritual gifts, no matter if it's in Corinth or Galatia or Ephesus or even among ourselves in the modern day. The main point of the Apostle Paul in talking about spiritual gifts with the Corinthians is to point out that the purpose for spiritual gifts is always edification. Always building others up. Always edifying. In fact, in chapter 12, verse 7, he talked about the fact that spiritual gifts are for the common good, for the benefit of everyone. Chapter 14, verse 12, he tells the saints here at Corinth to strive to excel in building up the church. So Paul's big goal, his main aim in correcting the, the, the abuses, the extravagant uses by the Corinthians for themselves, was that they do and use their spiritual gifts for the common good of all the saints and for the building up of one another. In fact, we all know that spiritual gifts are not for ourselves, but they are for others. In fact, spiritual gifts are for edification, for the benefit of someone else. If you look at chapter 14, verse 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul says that every spiritual gift, one who prophesies, is for upbuilding, for encouragement, and for consolation. Upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And you'll notice in verse 4 that the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up The church. And Paul goes on later to say, I'd rather speak five words in the church that can be comprehended than 10,000 words in a tongue that cannot be understood at all. 
So the purpose of spiritual gifts then, without question, is this whole subject of edification. Now the use of spiritual gifts take place in a church, when a church gets together primarily. So when the Apostle Paul now talks in verses 26 through 40, he's talking about what we're doing this morning. He's talking about the worship service of a church, of a congregation, of these Corinthians. It was the desire of the Corinthians to show off themselves for their own edification, to build up themselves by, look at my gift, look what I can do. And the Apostle Paul has conclusively reminded us over and over again that no, that is not what spiritual gifts are for. Spiritual gifts are for the benefit of everybody else for their edification. So there's trouble in Corinth in the worship service. The answer to chaos in a church service is without question order. That's the big thing that Paul wants to, co to convey to the Corinthians. In fact, in verse 40, the last verse of chapter 14, let everything be done decently and what? In order. So that's his main goal in concluding his whole teaching on spiritual gifts, their use, the corrections that he applies, and also in the order or the functioning of a church. Let there be order. Let there be edification and let there be order in the worship. So verses 26 through 40 I uh, give to you this morning is about correcting the order of the church in Corinth. Correcting the problems from the first 25 verses that we've seen. It's about what should be happening in the church. Paul has explained what was happening in verses 1 through 25. Now he's going to tell us what should happen when a church congregates, when a church gets together. So, verse 33, God is not the God of what? Confusion. And the opposite of confusion is order. Right? So God is not the, order, the, the God of confusion, but the God of peace. So a, a true and a real and a lasting edification which comes through the biblical use of spiritual gifts, as Paul tells us, requires decency and in order. That's why Paul says at the end, let everything, not some things, but all things be done decently and in order. So the opposite of order in a church would be chaos, right? The answer to chaos is control, is order. So what does Paul mean here in these verses? I want us, uh, you to notice, first of all, that he talks about a purpose. He has purpose. Or he, he wants us to understand that a church service is not a random thing. It doesn't just happen. People don't just walk in and it happens. No, there's, there is a purpose. There is a, a purpose that is aimed at through planning and structure and some form, some order. So you all have bulletins this morning and you can see a, a form, a structure, an order. A church service is not just a random event. It's not just a congregation of people who've come together and will see what happens. No, it is a, a purposeful service that has requirements. And you notice, even in the verse 26, he talks about some of those things that, that happen in a church. He talks about a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And those are things that were happening in the church at Corinth. And it doesn't just happen that there is planning. No, it takes time, it takes consideration, there is procedure. Uh, and by the way, planning and procedure in anything are the necessary elements of function. 
If you're going to function, there has to be planning, there has to be procedure. You come week by week, and I'm sure by now you come expecting a bulletin. You come expecting some guidance, some help. What are we going to sing? What are we going to read? What's, what are the, the announcements and all? There's just this planning and this procedure. So the very first thing that the Apostle Paul wants the Corinthians to know in order to establish order in the church is the first thing he tells is, this, listen, there must be controlled learning. Controlled learning. So that's verses 26 through 29. Now, you know, when I think about church services, and I've been in church services all my life, the real... Uh, balance of a church service I think is a mixture of formality and a mixture of informality. Now when I was younger I might have been much more stronger on the formality side but uh, I've come to see that there are there is an informality to worship and it's just as much as there is a formality to worship. For instance to be too formal in worship leads to inflexibility an unwillingness to change. It leads to legalism and we don't want that. In fact, Scripture is very clear that we shouldn't be legalistic in anything. Scripture says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Too much informality on the other side leads to casualness or carelessness. Leads to license. So like everything, we aim for a some form of moderation or balance even in spiritual worship. Now, I think in the early church, this church, church at Corinth, church at Galatia, whatever church you look at in the New Testament, there was a, probably a much stronger sense of informality than there was of formality. And there are really two reasons for that, why I say that. The first is because Christians were suffering. Christians were being persecuted for their faith. So when you gathered together, a lot of consolation, a lot of comfort, a lot of encouragement would take place, and that would have been in an informal kind of setting. Not only that, but they did not gather in church buildings like we do. They gathered in homes. And as you know, when you get together in someone's house, things tend to be a little more informal than formal. Now in the worship in a home, there would be this falling back on to some procedure, some plan that had been discussed beforehand so that the church would know what to expect when they gathered together. That's why you have uses of hymns and lessons and a revelation and a teaching and an interpretation here in verse 26 in Corinth. What the Corinthians lacked was order in their services. Instead of a common purpose, they had individual purposes. They were doing what they pleased, what they wanted. So verse 26, if you look at verse 26, is not a commendation. But it's really the Apostle Paul who is rebuking them for what they were doing. Oh yes, you have your hymns. Yes, you have your lessons. Yes, you have your revelation. Yes, you have your tongues and you have interpretation. But they were forgetting the principle. And what is the principle? The principle is at the last part of verse 26. Look what Paul says. Let all things be done for building up. So when you have your hymns, when you have your revelations, when you have your tongues, when you have these things in Corinth, the main principle behind what should be happening is verse 26. Let all things be done for the building up 
of the church. So a church service should always aim to edify God's people. You should be able to go out saying, I learned something today from God's Word that I didn't really understand or know, or it became more sweeter to me, more precious to me, as God's Word was unfolded. I, began, I understood that. So it's all about a controlled learning in this environment. Now, there's nothing wrong with the elements that are said here, right? There's nothing wrong with a hymn. There's nothing wrong with a lesson or a teaching. There's nothing wrong with the tongues. There's nothing wrong with, with uh, the interpretation. Those are right and good things, as Paul has established already in chapter 13 and chapter 14. The problem in Corinth was how they were being used. How they were being used for themselves and not for one another. So, verse 27, he says, If anyone is going to speak... If anyone is going to speak, let it be in turn. So look what he says, verse 27. If anyone speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Now notice the order, right? If anyone is going to speak in a tongue, Paul says, then this is what is required. Let there be only two, or at the most three, and in turn, and let someone Interpret. Now you remember, you can't just get up. The Corinthians were doing that. Just get up and use your gift of speaking in tongues and there was no interpretation. Paul has already told us, no, tongues always require interpretation. So if there's going to be the use of speaking in tongues in Corinth, Paul says, let it by, be by two, at the most three people, and let each one take his turn. And not only that, but make sure that there's someone to interpret. That's order. Paul is putting order onto the abuse and the misuse of the gifts in Corinth. And will you notice especially that if a number, two or three, speak in a tongue, it really only requires one interpreter. So if uh, this person gets up and says something in a tongue, the interpreter can interpret, and if someone else got up, the same interpreter can interpret that because they have the gift of interpretation of tongues. Not just of a particular tongue, but the interpretation of tongues. And notice Paul's limits, right? Don't miss the restraints. Let there be two or three at the most. And verse 28 says that if there is no one to interpret, because that's the key, right? Because if interpretation enables everybody to grasp and to understand what's said, in verse 28, if there is no one to interpret, then be quiet is what Paul essentially says. Let them, he says, be silent. Be silent, he says. So verse 28, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now you know, when we come together as a congregation or at a prayer meeting on Wednesday night and everybody prays, you follow along in your mind. And you pray along in your mind. And we do that in a church service. We think about what we're listening to. And we might be reminded of something that I want to pray about. Whatever it is. So, a church service is about learning. It's not just an aimless place where you come and it's a very nice thing to do on Sunday morning and I'm very comfortable in the chairs and oh, we get together and it's a wonderful time, have a cup of coffee and whatever it is. No, there is a reason why we have come. Ultimately, we have come to worship God and to give glory to God and we worship God and we glorify God when we use spiritual gifts as they are meant to be used and when we have structure and when we have order in the church. That's what Paul is talking about Primarily, first of all, here in the use of the gift 
of tongues. So, Paul has said back in verse 2 of 14 and verse 4 of 14 that if no one is there to interpret, then don't use the gift. Using the gift of tongues without interpretation is not edifying and benefits no one because nobody understands. So Paul requires order. Well, you notice in verse 29, verse 30, he requires the same order for, for the gift of prophecy and the same order if a revelation is made. So Paul now moves. First of all, he has controlled learning in his mind. But now, secondly, he talks about controlled liberty. Controlled liberty. Look at verses 29 through 33. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, verse 30, let the first be silent. You can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets because God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Liberty, Christian liberty, freedom is not license. It doesn't give you the freedom, the liberty we have as Christians, with our gifts, to do as we please. There is to be controlled liberty. So liberty is not a free-for-all. And by the way, liberty, it's quite clear here, a controlled liberty is not an any-man ministry or an every-man ministry. It's always let two or three speak. But it's not just everybody saying or doing what they want. So that immediately says that there are limitations to spiritual gifts. Limited to those who have them. Limited to the two or the three, as Paul says. So for example, if someone does not have the gift of teaching, right? They are never to teach. Let's just be clear. If they don't have the gift of teaching, they are never to teach because they cannot teach. They don't have the gift. So what should they do? Learn. Be quiet. Use your gifts that you have, which might be the gift of service or the gift of helps or whatever it is. Use your gifts. But if you don't have a gift, you can't use it. And whenever somebody who doesn't have a gift supposedly uses the supposed gift, you very soon discover, no, you don't have it. You don't have it. So it's quite clear that the Apostle Paul here places limitations on those who can use, speak, those who are gifted. So those who are spiritually gifted in whatever gift they have, they can exercise those gifts, but they must exercise it under control. So there is a liberty to use gifts, two or three. If one is speaking and somebody gets a revelation, you be quiet and let the other one say. Because who knows what God might be saying at that particular time. Now you can sense from all of this that the First Corinthians or the Galatians or any uh, early church service would have been quite different to what we experienced this morning. Quite different. And you can see especially also the great essential need if a two or three or to speak at the most, and they're to do it in turn, that there had to be some control and some form of order to the church service. So only two or three, speaking in tongues, verse 27, only two or three prophets, verse 29, and the same one by one if you have a revelation. Now what should you do if someone is giving a prophecy or someone is giving a revelation? Well, you should pay attention and consider what is said. So, for instance, look at verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others, those listening, 
let the others weigh what was said. That word weigh means to evaluate. It means to be discerning. It means to discriminate as to what I heard. That is how people listen to sermons, by the way. You know, just as there is a means and a method to preaching, so too there are a means and a method to listening to sermons. And listening to sermons means you consider what is said, you pay attention to what is said, you dissect it in your mind, and you look at it in the light of Scripture. You don't look at it in the light of experience. You don't look at it in the light of culture. You don't look at it in the light of how you might do business in the world. You look at it through the lens of Holy Scripture. You weigh what is said by the Word of God. Nothing else. And when you do that, you learn. And you learn in a liberty kind of environment that Paul is talking about. In fact, the gift of prophecy requires exactly that. Because probably in the first century, as Paul's already said in the opening verses of chapter 14, the gift of prophecy is superior to the gift of tongues. Why is that? Because you always require interpretation when tongues are used. But everybody can understand the gift of prophecy because it's in their own language. So when you hear it in your own language, Paul says, weigh it up. Listen. So you can see that it's not just about the preacher. A church service is not just preaching. A church service is listening and engaging and weighing up what is said and what is put forward from the preaching or the teaching. So prophecy in the early church was probably the most important and the most serious gift. It outranks tongues back in verse 5 of chapter 14. It stands, doesn't it, right below the apostolic office. In fact, the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. And those prophets, yes, are Old Testament prophets, but just in the same way, it appears that the New Testament gift of prophets, prophecy, were very, very crucial and very important. Why is that? Because a prophet is a spokesman for God, a spokesperson for God. Those prophets, Old Testament prophets, New Testament prophets, they were not permitted to say what they wanted. They were not permitted to say what they pleased. They were not permitted to play to the the current mood that prevailed, that this is what people want to hear, so I'll give them what they want to hear. No, prophets were not allowed to do that. Prophets had a message from God, and they were to give that message from God as God gave it to them. They were not to adapt it. They were not to change it. They were not to dabble with it. They were to deliver it, as directly from the mouth of God, so that when they said, thus says the Lord, that's true. It wasn't the prophet. It was God who was speaking. That's the gift of prophecy. It's only the false prophet, right, or the false teacher that changes things up, that mixes things up, that has his own message that is false to what God's Word says. That's why always weigh what is said. Always pay attention to the Scriptures and what God says in His Word. True prophets have freedom. They have liberty. But that liberty is limited, controlled, to the communication only of God's Word and God's Word alone, as they were given it. New Testament prophets, I think, exactly the same. God gave them a word, they were to deliver that word, and nothing more and nothing less. So verse 3 tells us the reason, so that God's people, notice verse 3, upbuilding, encouragement, consolation, so that there should be edification, 
that there should be encouragement and that there should be empathy among everyone. Consolation. So when you hear the word of God, it's my prayer, and it should be all of our prayers, that I will hear what God says and be encouraged and be built up from God's word. So any prophecy given in the church then is to be subject and under the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Subject to the Spirit. So notice verse 31. Prophecy, he says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So notice that. What you should take away from any sermon is at least one of those, right? Instruction, learning, or encouragement, challenged, motivated, whatever it is, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the procedure for the gift of prophecy, verse 31, is you can all prophesy one by one. In other words, in order. So prophets, the New Testament prophet, is not an independent operator. He is subject to the spirit of the prophets. Look at verse 32. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. There's no, to be no monopolizing, but there is to be this sharing among themselves, controlled learning, controlled liberty. All prophets... And whatever they want to say is to be weighed up by others and subject to the other prophets. So what happens if you heard a false prophecy or a false teaching today? False teaching, let's say. You had to reject it. On what grounds do you reject it? Because you feel like it? Does it sound right? No. On the grounds of the Word, right? The Bible is my authority. The Bible is my authority in preaching. I'm not here to preach Russ Atmore. I mean, I'm a stupid guy. I don't say right things by myself. But God's Word is God's Word. Let's hear God's Word, right? I must hear it. I must always hear it. I must always listen to it. I must learn. And we all are to do that and to learn. So false prophecy is rejected. And when do you reject it? Well, you weigh it up. You examine everything you hear and you throw off that which is not in accord with the Word of God. And you know what Paul says here in the Corinthian context, because we, we kind of get, we, we lose that. What Paul says in the Corinthian context is very, very important because the Corinthians were all about themselves. I'm sure that's not our problem. We're not all about ourselves. But the Corinthians were, even in the congregation. They wanted others to see that they had better gifts than each other. They made use of those. They just did their thing. That's why Paul puts control. Let two or three, not ten of you just going at the same time, but two or three, one by one, whatever it is. So there is to be liberty, but it is to be controlled liberty so that order prevails. That's the only reason. So that order prevails. Now listen, spiritual gifts require self-control. Spiritual gifts don't require license. They're not a means for license for anybody to do as they please. No, self-control is not confusion. God Himself is not like that. God is self-controlled. Perfectly. Because God is not a God of confusion. Verse 33. He's a God of peace. Everything God does and everything God says and everything God is is perfect harmony 
and perfect union. No confusion. Now you hear people might say to you today, well, God, I just don't understand God. How can you make sense of God and all these different things? Listen, God can be understood because God is a God of order. God is not a God of confusion. Everything God does is not to produce in a congregation the giving of spiritual gifts to produce confusion, but to produce harmony and to produce union and to produce peace. And so, having nothing to do with confusion, let us have everything to do with clarity so that we understand what has been said. If you read your Bible and don't grasp what your Bible says, then you need help. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is the one who helps us primarily. So God Himself reflects order in the church because He's not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So we have controlled learning, and we have controlled liberty. Thirdly, I want you to notice in verse 34 and 35, which causes all kinds of trouble, right? Controlled leadership. Controlled leadership. As in all the churches of the saints. By the way, that's quite, that as in all the churches of the saints belongs with verse 34 and not with verse 33. So as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. It is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now just bear in mind, this is Corinthian context to start with, Right? So whatever was happening in Corinth involved the women doing something that they ought not to have been doing in Corinth. But you will notice that there is a universal stipulation by the Apostle Paul as in all the churches, not some, not just you Corinthians with your problems, but every church, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, or meaning all the churches. Now we all should know that church leadership according to Scripture, is under authority, the authority of elders and to a lesser extent deacons. And you can read about that in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1. The ordained leadership that God has stipulated and laid down. Paul's injunction in verse 34, let the women, the women should keep silent in the churches, applies to all the churches. It's not just for Corinth, but it's something that goes on in Rome, it's something that goes on in Ephesus and so on. And Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16 when he said, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. There was a reason why he said that. And the reason why he said that is because of creation. There's an order to creation. Creation is not random. Creation has ordered the creation of Adam first, then Eve. And it is Adam, ultimately, who bears the responsibility for what Eve did because he failed himself and he's the transgressor. Ultimately, he's the one who sinned and caused the fall of humanity because he is the head. And so on. So there's an order to creation. Adam first, then Eve. And Eve, as we know, was designed by God to help her head, Adam. 1 Corinthians 11, we've already looked at that, verse 9, man was not created for woman, but woman for man. Now, men and women are not to compete uh, against each other. It's not the teaching of Scripture. They are not to 
live apart from one another. They belong together. So what Paul says in verse 34 and 35 is because there's some form of disorder, some form of chaos going on in Corinth. Uncontrolled speaking would be, of course, chaotic. And it's apparent when he talks about let them ask their husbands or at home, that the reason he says that is because they were just asking questions in the congregation, out of the blue, making whatever comments they were making. And Paul says, that's not order. You can't do that. In fact, that's not what you're permitted to do. So something was happening in Corinth with the women speaking out of turn in public in this way, perhaps asking questions. Paul is not talking about women having conversation or us having conversation among ourselves. Not talking about that. He's talking about something that takes place in the service and the order of the service. And every time, by the way, Paul uses the word speak, and he uses it quite a lot in 1 Corinthians 14, when you speak in tongues or speak a prophecy, whenever you speak, uh, 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 instructing others, getting a revelation from God, it was always simply just speaking, but with an authoritative means that led, supposedly, or ought to lead to edification. So that every speaking that is used with tongues or prophecy or a revelation or a lesson, whatever it is, the aim in the speaking was to ensure edification. And it was authoritative speaking that Paul is talking about here. So what Paul is referring to here is the ministry of the word in public, in the church service, in the church order. He's already told, will you notice, in verse 28 and verse 30, that men ought to be silent themselves when others speak. So this one has a revelation, you keep quiet. You sit down. And you don't say anything. You be silent. And let that person speak, and so on. So the plain, direct teaching of the Bible is that women are to refrain from taking an oral leadership position or ministering to the gathered church when it gathers together for worship through these spiritual gifts that Paul is seeking to correct here. Now this does not mean, dear women, I'm sure you know, that you can do nothing and say nothing. In fact... The idea of submission here, which is simply the yielding to authority ordained by God, is simply so that order prevail. Order prevails. So it is to be a recognition of headship. So men recognize Christ as their head. The Lord Jesus recognizes the Father as head. And so too women recognize their head in the man. And that is the stipulated order of creation. Notice the order. It's all about order. So Christian service of Christian women in a church is, in my opinion, frankly, absolutely crucial, essential, and vital. Because most men, most of us men, are either going to say something foolish somewhere along the line, or we're just plain not going to involve ourselves in service. That's just what's going to happen. And so what happens? The women naturally instinctively, normally, involve themselves in these kinds of things. Now listen, a church without women serving would be like a church not having wives, not having daughters, not having mothers, not having single women, not having widows, none of that if you wanted a church without women speaking. So no, we don't mean just ordinary gathering 
conversation and serving with their spiritual gifts. Now, some women may have the gift of teaching. Then they teach, but they teach in a controlled environment. They teach other women. They teach children. They can do that, and so on. So we all recognize there are stipulations. There are restraints. There are restrictions because order must prevail. Now that tells me something as an ordinary Christian. Because God has gifted all of us. Every single Christian has has at least a spiritual gift or perhaps more than one spiritual gift. That tells me that I am to use my spiritual gift in the service of the congregation for the glory of God, for the benefit of everybody else. That applies to all of you. It doesn't just apply to the preacher. It applies to every single one of you. You are required by God to use your gifts in a congregation for the glory of God. Why? Because it's a way, it's an order that's ordained by God. The use of spiritual gifts. You can't just come to church and do nothing. You can't just come to church and and it doesn't mean anything. I've just come to here and I'm out of here. No, what are you doing in the church? How are you serving Christ in His church? Do you want to do that? You can do that. How do you do that? You do it through the use of spiritual gifts that God has enabled people to have. Not only that, but you'll notice in verse 34, Paul says, the law tells us this. As the law also says. And by the way, he's probably referring here to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, which is the curse of God upon the sin of Adam and Eve, and Satan included as well. He says to Eve, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So there's friction because of the fall. That's what happened in the fall between Adam and Eve. They immediately started to experience friction, whereas previously, before the fall, they were in perfect harmony. But the moment sin comes in to a relationship, there's trouble, right? And the trouble exists in every marriage in that form. Your desire, Eve, will be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. Now ultimately, feminism as we know it has spread everywhere in the world. Feminism as we know it completely is anti the order, the created order of God. There's nothing wrong with femininity. That is beautiful. In fact, God says that a woman is known by her inward character. Let it not be the outward adorning of jewels and clothing, but let it be the inward character. That is what is beautiful in the sight of God. Not only that, femininity and feminism which has abused that, but masculinity has frankly fled out of the window. Where are men? As men should be. Where are men according to God's word? And I'm talking Christian men. Because Christian men have God's word to guide them, to enable them to lead and to serve. But when you have femininity, beautiful spiritual work and service by the godly women that Paul is talking about, and by the usage of, uh, the use of men using their spiritual gifts, you will find in the order of that, that there is prosperity, there is blessing, and there is the fulfillment that God promises. That's what I want, right? I'm sure that's what we all want. Paul says in verse 35, it's shameful for a woman to take a leadership role. That word speak is in the leadership position. He doesn't mean just to have a conversation or to talk. 
Okay, it's not what he means. He means to take leadership, authoritative position in speaking in a church. Now, why does he say it's shameful? Because it goes, first of all, against creation, the order. And secondly, it fulfills the curse of the law. It's just simply the fulfilling of the curse of the law for a woman to do that, Paul says. So to be silent is not about speaking in general, but about speaking in a particular way, that in the worship service of the congregation. Now what does Paul mean when he says, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home? Now, I think that's, that's very largely a cultural thing for the Corinthians, because that really was how it was. But for us, we, women can ask any man, they can ask anyone, they can ask other women, they can ask how they can learn. So from husbands or elders and so on. Now I know Corinthian culture is different from ours because of history. It was different from our current uh, culture. But there's one thing that is still the same today as it was in Corinth, and that's the order of creation. It's unchanged. In fact, before Corinth came into existence, the order of creation was in place. What God expected, what God had made. So the order of creation always stands. And because of that order, Paul is saying, let there be controlled leadership, let there be order in the church. Well, Paul's final word, brothers and sisters, is in verses 36 through 40. And his final word has to do with a commanded lordship. A commanded lordship. Will you notice briefly, verse 36, the Corinthians are not spiritually special. Was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the only ones, right, that it has reached? Of course not. It's gone to the Romans and the Ephesians, the Philippians, and so on. They're not the only special ones. They thought they were simply special spiritually. That, but the gospel, of course, has gone elsewhere and reached others. So they're not a special group. Verse 36. Secondly, verse 37, the Corinthians needed to submit to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I'm writing to you are the command of the Lord. So Paul says, I'm not, this is not just from Paul. This is the command of the Lord. What I am telling you in this passage is from the Lord himself. You Corinthians, you need to submit not to Paul, but to the Lord Himself. Because what comes from Paul is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. If they were spiritual people, they would know that. They would recognize that. They would say, you're right, Paul. That's what we need to submit to. Thirdly, verse 38, when he says, if anyone doesn't recognize this, that, I'm, that this is the command of the Lord, he is not to be recognized. In other words, he is a failure uh, to be... Uh, sorry... Uh, a command to beware of spiritual loss. Don't be ignorant. A failure to learn, a failure to know, a failure to grow, a failure to practice, a failure to submit to the order of God is loss. Spiritual loss. No benefit. No spiritual growth. No glory to God because they were self-oriented. Are you and I self-oriented? Self-serving. It's all about me. What I know. Is that what it is? So Paul says, look, don't be ignorant, you Corinthians. Listen to what I'm telling you. This is from the Lord Himself. Spiritual truths as they are revealed in Scripture must be received and believed for God to bless. Do you believe God's Word? 
Do you receive God's word this morning? Fourthly, verse 39. Paul says you need to fulfill your service obligations. So, verse 39. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Use your gifts. And don't be afraid of speaking in tongues. Paul says, I'm not forbidding those things. I'm encouraging those things. Because they belong in the order of the church. So, fulfill your obligations. So, however God has gifted you, my dear brother and sister, this morning, then fulfill your obligation. Fulfill your service to the Lord. Fulfill that because it leads to edification. It does. It serves others. Not yourself. Finally, verse 40 Everything in the church must be decent and in order. Decent with propriety. Showing forth beauty. Showing an arrangement that reflects God. Because God's not the author of confusion and a God of confusion. He's an order, a God of beauty and a God of arrangement. He's a God, as Paul says here in verse 40, of decency and in order. And of order. So order in the church is not really about ourselves. And it's not really about our gifts. Ultimately, order in the church is for the glory of God. That's what it's all about. We give God the glory when we serve Him the way we're supposed to serve Him. Not for ourselves, our own benefit, but for each other. So that we take an interest in each other's lives. That we're concerned about one another. Because we are Christians. And Christians love one another. Isn't that what we do? When we do that, we reflect who God is. And we reflect what God is like. So the church, the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, with Christ as husband and head, is to reflect the beauty, the wonder, the glory, the arrangement, the splendor of God Himself. And that's my life and your life. That's why Paul says at the end of chapter 10, right? So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for what? The glory of God. The most basic things must render glory to God. So let our learning in a congregation, let our liberty, our freedom, where the Spirit of the Lord is, let our leadership, let us reflect that Lordship of Christ over us who is the head of the church. Let's pray together.